Welcome to Impact the World, a podcast from West Park Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is where we discuss topics related to how we can all love God, love people, and impact the world. Here's your host, Tara Hayes. Hi, I am Tara Hayes, and I'm excited to be sitting down today with one of our global partners, Carmen Hefner. Hey, Carmen. Hey there. I'm excited that you're here. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Carmen has become kind of almost like a sister to me. And yeah. um, so I'm, I'm very happy that you can be here today to sit down and chat with us. For those of you who are uh, maybe new to West Park or just don't know, uh, Carmen has been, we've been supporting Carmen since October of 2019. And if you were at Missions Conference right before the world stopped in 2020, Carmen was at that conference where a lot of people got to meet you and hear um, more about your ministry. But I'm excited to sit down today and hear about where you are now and what's going on and how things are progressing Mm -hmm. and just help people to get to know you um, personally, but also in ministry. So um, if you could just start out by telling us a little bit about maybe how you grew up and your testimony and how you came to Christ, I think that would be great. Okay, great. Um, So I have a bit of a different story from most missionaries that I've known, at least. Um, I didn't come from a Christian home, a Christian background. Um, I, my grandmother was a very strong Christian, but the generation of my parents, my mom and dad, um, both were kind of in um, a generation where they stepped away from the Lord, stepped Mm -hmm. away from the church. And so my influence with regards to church was, first and foremost, my grandmother. Um, But secondary was um, a small little country church in Monroe, North Carolina, that had a bus ministry that would pick us up on Sunday mornings. And I didn't have a a clear understanding, you know, at age nine of all that was going on in my home and the dynamics there. Um, But just to give you a little bit of background... Um, my parents um, came from really difficult backgrounds, my dad in particular, and he walked away from the church um, at a very young age, and my mom did the same. And so when she was 14 years old, um, she got pregnant and was forced to give that child up for adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, Prior to that, she was a part of the church that is my sending church um, today, First Baptist Church of Matthews. Um, But at 14 years old, when she was forced to give a child up for adoption and um, pushed out of her home and such, Mm. um, she just um, took a a huge step away from the church. So um, my parents were just in a tough place when they met one another. Uh, My mother had gone through losing a child. Um, She had already gone through a marriage and a divorce Mm. by the time she was 20 years old. Wow. And my dad had as well gone through a marriage, a divorce, and had a child from his first marriage. And so they met each other, and they were pretty empty themselves. Yeah. A lot and going on. A lot going on. Yeah. Um, and so they had me, and I <laughs> was brought into the midst of uh, quite a lot of dysfunction. Yeah. Um, my dad was arrested when I was three months old um, for selling um drugs to an undercover cop. And that just kind of began my life. And so I didn't know, 
that there was dysfunction and instability because my grandmother was able to kind of keep that solid rock for us. Um, but definitely there was a lot of that. Oh, yeah. So my parents, um, I mean, the pastor at, our, at the small little church that had the bus ministry would call me trouble with a capital T <laughs> because <You? laughs> I was one of those bus ministry kids that Aww. didn't have parents to sit with. And I think my parents were just like, oh, cool, bus ministry. We can send the kids to church on Sunday right. and we'll get a little rest we'll and a, a break. little break. Right. So um, I would get on the bus each uh, Sunday. They gave great snacks. Um, <laughs> there you go. There's the plug for good snacks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we would uh, get to church and uh, just learn about the Lord. And I had no idea what kind of impact that was making on me at that time. That's when I was around eight, nine years old. Um, around the same time, my parents split up, and uh, my mom left, and I stayed with my dad. What I also didn't know at that time, there were drug deals going on outside of my very bedroom door. Wow. Um, my dad was um, doing drugs, but also selling, and there was just a lot going on that way in wow. our home. Um, so the Lord just had his hand on me and was just protecting me in a supernatural way. That's what I was thinking, the protection of God over your life from beginning yes. until now. We'll hear, but that is such an overarching theme. Yes, and I mean, my dad is just a good old boy, right? Mm, right. He grew up in the South hearing about Jesus and uh, came from a background where the church was a part of his family's life. But unfortunately, my parents just got, they were just in that generation of, rebelling against God. And so, um, yeah, the Lord just was protecting me um, all of the time. And so um, in the midst of all of that, um, being with a single father at this point with um, three children that he was raising by himself, the church was coming alongside of my dad without him realizing it, mm. um, still picking us up faithfully every Sunday morning. Wow. And my first stepmother popped into my life around that same time. And so I have a little saying, oh, I don't know where I would be without Jesus and Wanda. <laughs> so oh, bless Wanda. <laughs> yes. So the church was picking me up on Sunday mornings. Um, I was going to vacation Bible school, uh, you know, d during the summer. And anytime the church bus would show up, we would all, all of us kids would get on the bus. With my dad marrying Wanda, we became a family with five children. Wow. So they were more than happy to send us down the road on Sunday morning. <laughs> um, and it was through the church's uh, faithfulness and ministry that um, during Vacation Bible School, the pastor, you know, again, think small Baptist church out in the country, gave an altar call. Mm. If you leave here today and lightning strikes you dead, where would you be? In heaven or in hell? <laughs> right. That's a good Southern Baptist. Yes. Uh, and I was a rotten child, <laughs> rotten to the core. And so I knew where I would be. Mm. And that was the first time I had been asked that question. And I understood from my time in church and in Sunday school by that point that I needed a Savior. And I ran down to that oh. altar as fast as you can imagine. <laughs> And I believe at that point I did understand um, what I needed with regards to Jesus as my Savior. I don't un I don't think I understood what it meant for um, Jesus to be Lord of my life. Right. Um, 
so my family continued through many transitions um, from that time. I was nine years old when I accepted Christ. And, um, and so by the time I got to high school, that small little Baptist church had not done a ton of discipleship, um, but I had been learning some in Sunday school. And then my stepmom, Wanda, was right there <laughs> leading and guiding and disciplining me um, all of the time. And then it was when I was in high school um, in 11th grade that I had a Christian teacher, um, Miss Brooks, Nora Brooks. Um, she had a Bible on her desk. I went to a public high school. Um, she had a Bible on her desk, and we would see her open it each morning, morning during the moment of silence. And we knew that she loved the Lord. She made that very clear to us. And I just had a desire at that time to understand more about God than just what I was getting at church on Sunday morning. So um, my friend Melissa and I, we approached her, and we said, would you mind discipling us after school each day? And she wow. did it in wow. a public high school. Wow. So she began to disciple uh, Melissa and myself, and she also became the person in our lives that challenged us um, in serving. And she encouraged us to think about doing some mission service through our church and so uh, Melissa and I started going up to West Virginia um, and Kentucky and to the hollers of the mountains mm. there with an organization called Operation Warm Up. And we would take warm clothes and blankets and jackets and such up into the hollers of the mountains. Wow. And it was during that time um, that the leaders um, of the church began to say, you know, you really seem to have a knack for sharing the gospel and you seem very caring towards the people up here. Um, do you, have you thought about doing international missions before? And I was like, no. You mean Kentucky's not international <laughs> missions? <laughs> I know. I mean, I thought, come on, that's another country, well, right? Learn a new language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they challenged me about uh, going into missions as far as just like, you know, going on my first international trip um, with a name like Carmen, you know. <laughs> Yes. My family is Southern as Southern can be, and I ended up with this Hispanic name, Carmen. And so I got made fun of a ton with Aww. this name. And so I I just made the statement, I'll go anywhere as long as they don't speak Spanish. Oh. Oops. <laughs> mm. That's a foreshadowing of things to come if you don't know Carmen. <laughs> Oh, so, yes. that's like, don't tell God never. <laughs> exactly. So I uh, resisted Spanish my whole life. Like in school, um, middle school, I decided that I would play the trumpet instead of take Spanish. <laughs> and so I joined the band. <laughs> in high school, we were uh, made to, you know, we had to choose a foreign language. So I chose French. So I didn't have to take Spanish. <laughs> And how's your French today, Carmen? <laughs> oh, not so good. <laughs> I can sing you some songs about cheese and bread and stuff, but that's hey. about all I remember. <laughs> and then um, and then in college, uh, we had to choose another language. And I'm like, hey, Hebrew, that sounds like a good language to choose. <laughs> I mean, literally, anything, anything I can do. Anything but Spanish. Exactly. One of the easiest languages to learn. So I yeah. choose Hebrew. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, and so um, it was when I was in college, uh, just starting college, that Hurricane Mitch came through um, Central America. And it was during that time, that was in 1998, the end of 98. And so in 1999, the very beginning in January, 
um, a gentleman from my church called me. His name is Ray. He said, hey, buddy. He said, I think you should go on a mission trip down to Nicaragua with me. And I didn't know where Nicaragua was on the map. And you didn't know they spoke Spanish? I hope they didn't speak Spanish, <laughs> but he didn't know either. So he said, I need you to tell your professors you're going to be gone from school for 10 days. Um, I'm going to get you a ticket, and we're going to go to Nicaragua. And so I got on the plane, didn't know where I was going or what was going to happen. <laughs> But the Lord um, saw fit to take me to Nicaragua in January of 1999, and that completely changed my life and my world. Well, and that's what I tell people. I think one of the most life-changing things you can do is to take a mission trip. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of benefit and uh, positives about taking trips in the United States. But I think to truly understand... (laughs) How we how well we have it, mm-hmm. and we have hardship, and there are hard places in the United States, but it will change your worldview completely, completely. And mm. sometimes it's it's a matter of just walking off the plane, yes, to see how different this world is, yes, from where you're living. So I was like 19 years old, almost 20 years old. Um, when I went on my first international mission trip. I had traveled overseas prior to that. My, the same teacher who had um, discipled me, she took us to England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, oh, Germany, Austria, Italy, Switzerland on educational trips. Wow. And so I felt very fortunate um, to have been able to go those places. Um, but I didn't know what was coming until, like you said, I stepped off the plane in Nicaragua. Uh, I didn't know how life-changing that would be for me. Yeah. So would you say that that is kind of the beginning of God calling you to international missions? Absolutely. Yeah. The hurricane had just come through and wiped out. I think there were around 2,000 people who had been killed Mm -hmm. during that hurricane And we were working in the hardest hit area, which was in um, an area of Nicaragua called Chinandega, up by the Honduras border on the west coast of Nicaragua. And um, the children were walking around. Many of them had lost parents in the hurricane. Um, Just little devastated children who had lost everything that was precious to them. But we were there working in the refugee camps um, that were being set up. And I didn't know their language because I had because you'd taken Spanish French and Hebrew my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and but these children, um, I was the youngest one on the trip, uh, nineteen, like I said. And these children were gathering around me and holding my hand and walking through the village, mm-hmm. and um, they wanted to speak with me. They wanted to communicate, and um, I couldn't communicate with them, and so. They started pointing pointing at farm animals that were everywhere, <laughs> and they would say um, "gringa, gringa." That's you know, You're, white girl, you. white girl. <laughs> so they're like American, American, yeah. basically. Um, so um, "gringa, gringa," and they would point to an animal, and there may be a rooster there, huh. and they would say "gallo," and I would repeat "gallo," <laughs> and they would say "ingles, ingles." In English, in English. And so I would say rooster, and they would say rooster. Oh. <laughs> and so we began to find a way to communicate. And it wasn't until we got to the dog, when they pointed to the dog and said, perro. And 
I tried to get them to say dog. They said dog. (laughs) (laughs) And I they're learning Southern English. (laughs) Oh no, I can never do this unless I learn their language. And God and his grace, he has um, just poured um, Spanish into my mm. mind and into my heart, into my every part of my being. And I, the Lord changed my heart on that trip and just gave me a heart for um, Hispanic people and specifically for Nicaragua at that time, but just really broke my heart wow. for um, the Spanish-speaking nations. Yeah, so the thing that you had tried so desperately to avoid the most in your life became very important and heavy on your heart. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So then after that trip, is did you come home and think, okay, that's it? This is... I wasn't fully convinced yet. <laughs> yeah, it's not always in one trip. I mean, you know, there's it's a process. <laughs> yes, I was 19. I was excited. Yeah. Uh, my biggest change at that point was I've got to learn Spanish and I've got to learn it right now. Um, and so I, I began to search for opportunities. Um, that I think I was in my sophomore year of college. I began to search for opportunities to be able to serve more in Nicaragua. So I spent my first summer in Nicaragua in, 20, in uh, 2000. Wow. And it was during that time that was a big, huge um change for me to um, go and spend my entire summer away from home. I'd never really been away from home. Like Christopher Columbus dropped my family off in Matthews, North Carolina, and no (laughs) one's ever left. (laughs) That's where we settled, and that's where we're going to stay. Yes. So I looked at my plane ticket. I had three months that I was going to be in Nicaragua, and I just cried and cried. Yeah. Yeah. but I knew that's what God had called me to do. So I persevered. I stuck it out. I didn't go home. Um, and the Lord during that time uh, also had me sharing a room with a Guatemalan lady who did not speak any English oh. whatsoever. And so, so you're going to learn it by immersion, basically. Yes. <laughs> so we communicated with just hand gestures. Hand gestures, <laughs> yes. And then I saw her reading her Bible in Spanish, and I was reading my Bible in English, and I thought, you know, we have that in common. Yeah. And so with, with a translator, I asked her if she would please consider teaching me Spanish. So we started with Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a good place to start. It was start. a good place to start. <laughs> the little puedo en Cristo que me fortalece. And then from there, she began to help me read and began to help me pray, and God just opened my heart um, completely. And I've never actually studied um, Spanish in the formal setting. Um, God literally just gave it to me. Wow. It was a beautiful thing. And for those of you that are listening, if you ever uh, have the opportunity to be around Carmen or near Carmen when she's speaking with someone in Spanish, you sound like a native speaker. I mean, it literally is a gift from God that he has just enabled you to to speak Spanish so Absolutely. fluently. Yeah, it is a it's a gift. It is and it's from him. Yeah. Wow. Well, he was setting you up for ministry. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't give us things so that we can just say, "Look, this is really cool." I mean, you know, he he has a purpose and Even that this- has you know, as much as you fought it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gave it to you, so then he had a purpose for it. 
even this Hispanic first name that I ended up with. <laughs> now the Hispanic people, when I introduce myself, hi, my name's Carmen. They're like, no, but what's your no, real really, name? No, really, what's your American name? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm no, like, no, really. look. It's really look Carmen. Look at my passport, Carmen. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's how I uh, got into ministry. And then, like, as far as international uh, travels and stuff yeah. with mission trips, but it was after that summer of being there for three months. Um, it was October of, of 2000 that I was reading through God's word. And I came across the passage where um, Jesus is speaking to the rich young ruler. And the disciples are there present. And um, it begins to go through where they've said, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus is like, yeah, well, so... To follow me, you need to leave lands and home and mothers family. and fathers and yeah. family and all those things. And uh, I'm just paraphrasing that yeah. right now. Um, it's the Carmen version. <laughs> but as I read that passage there as a 20-year-old, I was like, Lord, yes, I'll follow you. Mm -hmm. I'll go wherever. And I was ready to go right then and there. But my pastor was like, um, no, you need to finish college. <laughs> Well, very wise on his part. <laughs> you should probably go to seminary. <laughs> so I did that as well. And it wasn't until, um, let's see, I finished seminary in 2003. Um, it wasn't until 2005 that I felt like the Lord was fully releasing me to go onto the field. Wow. Yeah. So so you did. You ended up in Nicaragua. I did. <laughs> Against I did. your young self. Um, your dreams were not of Nicaragua. No. But, um, so then how long were you there and, uh, how, how, how does that transition to where you are now? Because you're not in Nicaragua now. I'm not. But yeah. God used that to get you to where you are now. Right. So it was, um, it was with that first step into Nicaragua, like living there, um, that I really began to, well, let's see. Let's go back like this. I had a seminary professor. Um, she's Cuban, and she was mentoring me during seminary. And she knew that I was going to be applying to go out with um, ABWE. Um, and so I, I was actually, I was with a different ministry in Nicaragua for 2005, 2006. And then I heard about ABWE in 2007. And so um, I was going up to candidate seminar. And for those of you that don't know what candidate seminar looks like, it's now called NEMO, N-E-M-O. But basically, you go in and you're presented with all the options. Like, we need you here. You could right. do this in this country and this You basically and go and people fight over you. <laughs> yeah. Please. Well, and that's uh -huh. just because the laborers are few, let's be yes. honest. And there are so many countries that need people to come and share the gospel. Yes. But it is, you do feel a little of that, oh, I I mean, literally all over the world. They're like, please, come here, come here. Yes. Yeah. So I was getting ready to leave for a candidate seminar um, in 2007. And my mentor at the time, she said, Carmen, I hear you saying that you're, you want to serve the Lord. And, but I hear it come across this way. Lord, I'll serve you. Um, I'll serve you anywhere as long as it's Nicaragua. Mm. So this is 2007. And, and so I heard what she said, but, but she said, when you go to this candidate seminar, 
I want you to go with an open heart and an open mind for what the Lord may show you there. And she said, I, I think you should ask God to break your heart for the nations. Mm. And I heard her, but and I did pray, but I was That's like, a Lord, big burden, please, though. but I, I want to go to Nicaragua. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> I ended up at Candidate Seminar. We heard from all the different regions and all the needs that were presented. And my heart was breaking for the nations by the time we ended that, that time period. And then they ask us to just take some time and pray about where the Lord would have us go. And uh, it was an odd thing. We I walked outside at the home office in Harrisburg, um, Pennsylvania, and there's always two flags flying at the home office. And um, one of them, I believe, is the, uh, let's say the Canadian flag, maybe? I don't remember. <laughs> and then there's always um, a different flag left. I think, think it's each week for a different country that they're praying for. And I walked outside, and I saw blue and white blue I was like well those are the colors of the Nicaraguan flag but the, I know there's other countries that have blue and white blue and as I got <laughs> close to it it was the Nicaraguan flag Aww. so I ran into the home office and I talked to the president of ABWE at that time Michael Loftus and I said Dr. Loftus that the Nicaraguan flag is flying and I've been praying if if God would let me go to Nicaragua, <laughs> you know, I'm like, it's a sign. It's a sign. The <laughs> Lord gave me a special sign <laughs> in the form of a flag. <laughs> and Michael Loftus said at that time, you know, the flags only rotate about every seven years. And so this flag has not flown in a very long time. Mm. And he said, I'm not saying that's a sign from the Lord, but <laughs> yep, that's the Nicaragua flag. So I then ran to my regional director um, the, and I said, I, I think I really am supposed to go to Nicaragua. If that is a possibility for me, I would like to go. And so they said, yep, you can. We would love for, to have you on the on the Nicaragua team. Wow. So, the, yeah. So you did. What year did you get to Nicaragua? Uh, so I, with ABWE, um, I got there in 2009. Right. So I was raising support for about two years. Yeah. yeah. And so... Uh, ministry in Nicaragua was mostly with children. Am I correct? Um, children, and also we have a church planning institute okay. there. And thought. so um, I was working with the church planners' wives, yeah. um, doing theological education and ministry training. Yeah, yeah. So that was um, fourteen years. Um, so all together, yes, with, with the other ministry plus with ABWE, fourteen. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm, I'm figuring once you got to Nicaragua, you're like, well, I'm here for the rest of my life. Oh, absolutely. I had never, <laughs> I mean, that was my plan, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Right. All and included Nicaragua. Yes, because I was clear that I had read that in the Bible. Right. Like, follow me to Nicaragua. And there was that whole flag thing. The flag thing, yeah. <laughs> That God was so gracious in the midst of my... <laughs> Isn't God patient with us? <laughs> He's so patient. Yeah. But I do believe he grew me up in Nicaragua um, in ministry right. um, so that I could now be with the part of ABWE that I'm with, right. which is Live Global. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were very specific things that you needed to learn and be a part of and experience in Nicaragua. Absolutely. Um, as your first, you know, track or foray, as you might say, into international missions. Yes. So... Um, 
tell a little bit about at what point where you thought I might not be at Nicaragua in Nicaragua for the rest of my life. What yeah. is going on here? Yeah, it was a uh, earth shattering moment for me. <laughs> that uh, pretty traumatic. Gary and Marty Crawford got to be a part of. Right. For those of you um, who are familiar, Gary and Marty Crawford are members of our church, but they're also part of uh, at ABWE Love Global and. So, yeah, yeah. so uh, Gary and Marty were my regional administrators at the time. Um, but just a little bit of a backstory there. I didn't realize that the team on the ground in Nicaragua had been planned, had, be, had been started with basically a DNA of working with national partners. Mm. Um, they, they had already been... Um, touched by GAP, which was right. Global Access Partnerships that is now Live Global, um, prior to me ever coming on the field. So I had no idea that when I stepped on the field in Nicaragua, there was already the DNA there right. of working with national partners. So my only understanding of ministry for the entire time I was in Nicaragua was the missionary takes a step back and you empower the national partners. Right. To because do the, the ultimate goal is the Lord is allowing us to be here to work with you to help you plan a church or start a, some sort of ministry. But the goal is always to hand that to them. Yes. Because that is their heart language, their people, their, mm -hmm. and that God has equipped them special in a way that will never be equipped right. to work amongst their own people for the gospel. And we never know how long we can actually be in country. There's right. just things that are happening around the world. Um, COVID is a great example <laughs> yeah. of when missionaries get pulled off the field. Um, you know, some people were able to stay, but some missionaries were pulled off the field during that time. And um, so, yeah, I, I was uh, the thing that probably I think struck me the most that began this uh what I would call almost a discontentment um, within me was that we were working with nationals in Nicaragua. We had the Church Planners Institute. Um, the pastors were being trained, and they were being prepared for ministry, but the women felt like they were not. Mm. And so they asked for training. I came alongside of them along with all of my uh, ABWE uh, team, and we began to train the women for ministry. And then as a part of that, we had a church plant uh, behind a very active volcano, the Messiah Volcano, that asked <laughs> us, uh, the three of us single girls um, who were on the field with ABWE, if we would come alongside of them and help them with their children's ministry and their women's ministry. So we stepped into that uh, position, and we did something that we shouldn't have done. We walked in there knowing that we're, we should work with nationals. Mm. But there were three of us, and we could get a lot done, and we forgot to include the nationals in the equation mm. when we were working with the children's ministry there. And so the three of us single girls would go home each Christmas. We would usually leave uh, before Thanksgiving, and we would be gone November, December, and January. So not your traditional furlough. Right. We would come home for those three months, and that would equal up to a year, over four years. And so um, what we realized is we were not leaving anyone trained. Right. And in there was place. no one to take the pl to to work that ministry. Yeah. We had created a dependency mm. um, 
which sometimes happens, you know, yeah. with ministry and missions. And um, we had created a dependency there, and we had no one to teach the Sunday school class for the three months that we were gone. Mm. And so it was during that time that I thought, we're, we're not doing this right. Mm. And I don't know why that in particular in particularly uh, caused this kind of discontentment in me, um, but it did because I was frustrated um, that the national had been cut out of the picture. Yeah. And I didn't know that at the time. I just knew something's Something's off. not right. Yeah. 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 So it was then, um, let's see, uh, Easter of... 2017, um, we had had a team on the ground. I was exhausted. Um, we were leading a team um, from North Carolina. We finished up that week of leading the team, and I was so tired. And Gary and Marty had come down to just check on all of us missionaries and see how we were doing. And they said, Carmen, we were uh, just wondering, you know, how what you're up to, how you're doing, everything. And I was driving in the car they were riding with me and uh, headed back. Just say, let me pull over for a minute so I can uh, cry. <laughs> I just kept talking and crying. And Gary's like, do you want to stop for ice cream or something? <laughs> um, but he uh, he asked me, and the tears just came. And I said, I don't know what God's doing. I don't understand. But there is, there's been a change in my heart, and I don't know where it's coming from. And um, so they talked me um, through all of that and spent time with me. Um, and they said, you know, this could just be a reset button that God is, you know, is giving you. You may be experiencing a little bit of burnout, um, but you just need to take time just to be in God's word. And so they challenged me to do that during the Holy Week there in Nicaragua, um, Easter week. And I did. I got in God's word. And I was trying to figure it out. Lord, what are you doing here? What is this discontentment that I'm feeling? I thought that I was supposed to be in Nicaragua for the rest of my life. Do I need to call all my supporters and just tell them, okay, I'm done. It's over. I don't know what I'm going to do. But. It, it all feels very dramatic in that moment, doesn't it? it because it's so overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things Gary and Marty had thrown out to me during that, uh, that conversation, they said, you know, it could be that God's calling you to a different field. What? I was like, no, no. Way. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? People do that. Yeah. <laughs> People change. That wasn't I was like, my plan. <laughs> no, God called me to Nicaragua, and I said yes, and I was obedient, and I did it. And um, they're like, well, I mean, it could be any of these things. You could be experiencing a little bit of burnout. Uh, you may need to hit the reset button there. Uh, God may be changing your direction which I was not willing to accept. Um, but they didn't give me an answer. They uh-huh. just asked me to just get in God's word and just pray. And so I did. And eventually during that time of just prayer and uh, being in the word, I went back to my calling. Mm-hmm. So I went back to that passage that I referred to earlier um, where Jesus is speaking to the rich young rulers and telling his disciples what you have to leave to follow him. And I could have sworn it said to follow me to Nicaragua. And uh, <laughs> as I, I went. I want to know what version that is. Because I've never been to Nicaragua and I've read that passage a lot. <laughs> and so as I went back and read that passage, um, the Lord made it clear to me, I called you to follow me. I didn't mm-hmm. even tell you where. I just called you to follow me. 
So I contacted um, Gary and Marty again. My heart was also going back to my mentor from Cuba, my Cuban mentor that was my seminary professor, who was who had said, Carmen, I hear you saying, Lord, I'll go anywhere as long as it's Nicaragua. And I remembered her challenging me for the Lord to break my heart for the nations. Mm. So Gary and Marty, Marty, in their wisdom, were able to help me put all of that together and to realize that I had grown up ministerially in Nicaragua, and I was equipped for ministry, but I had asked the Lord to break my heart for the nations. And so Gary and Marty said, hey, do you remember being presented with GAP when you were in Candidate Seminar? Do you remember George Collins? And I was like, do I remember George Collins? <laughs> if you meet George Collins once, you remember him forever. He's unforgettable. That's that right. Voice, that, that voice. That booming right. voice. I was like, yes, I remember George Collins, but I only remember him from Candidate Seminar. And they said, well, you know, have you considered GAP? And I'm like, I don't even know, like, what? I remember George, but I don't remember what that is. <laughs> and so um, they said, why don't you give George Collins a call? And so George uh, and I had a conversation, and um, he was basically like, if Gary and, if Gary and Marty are seeing that you – could be a possible person to work with GAP, we would like to have a conversation with you mm -hmm. because GAP is not for everyone. Um, working with nationals around the world, um, that is not for everyone. That's a, 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 right. a different type of ministry for yeah. most. And so um, he said, I'd like to, to meet with you. I'd like to have a conversation. And so I packed up my bags and uh, I moved home. In September of, um, what year was that? 2017. Wow. Didn't know where I was going. Sold all my earthly possessions Did yet again. Did you feel like um, Abraham when he says, I I'm going to take you to a place, but I'm not going to tell you where? I did. So just follow me. Yeah, I actually wrote that in an email to a supporting church. And they're like, we will no longer be supporting you. Oh. <laughs> that was heartbreaking that for me. That is heartbreaking. Because I did have people saying, oh, if you go home, you're going to lose all your support. Mm -hmm. And so I actually wrote those words in an email. I feel like Abraham right now. Mm -hmm. And I know that I have to be obedient to this. And it is not my idea to leave Nicaragua. Clearly, the Lord is up to something. Right. And I just have to be obedient. And I was. Wow. Yeah. And I did lose that support, but, <laughs> but but I knew that I had to to obey. Yeah. Well, because to not obey is going to be worse than losing that support. Absolutely. And talk about miserable and I mean fighting against what God has for you because since Nicaragua and joining what is now Live Global. Right. I mean I know a lot of your story, and it's just exciting to sit and think about all of these little pieces from the time that you were a child have all come together Absolutely. to make this, to help mold you and form you into the person that God had you for this ministry. Yes. There's definitely more to Carmen's story, but I felt like this was a great place for a break. If you just can't wait to hear the rest of our conversation Part two is already available, so jump on out there and listen to it. Thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to the rest of this conversation.